Future Proof with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Yes, this is Future Proof on News Talk. I'm Jonathan McRae. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at science at newstalk.com and we get into all of your comments later on. Uh, it's in the podcast. You can listen and subscribe for free in the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. You can find us on Twitter. We're at News Talk Science. Or you can text us 53106 for 30 cent. Now, if you ask any neuroscientist what the biggest question in their field is today, they'll probably say whatever it is they're working on. But when pressed, they'll probably concede that it must be consciousness. How does this me come about? And core to that is free will. Do we have agency to make decisions about what we will do in our daily lives? Some people say yes, some people say no. Kevin Mitchell is absolutely in the first camp. He's Associate Professor of Genetics and Neuroscience at Trinity College Dublin. And he's written a new book called Free Agents, How Evolution Gave Us Free Will. Uh, welcome to the programme and good to see you again, Kevin. It's been a while. Congrats on the book. Um, this is such a fascinating area to me, particularly. Um, why did you want to talk about free will? What, what, what's, what's interesting about it? And what can we really know about it, given its intangible uh, role in, in consciousness? Yeah, well, it's a it's a problem that has you know um, kept philosophers busy for millennia, of course, and it's something that I think we all think about when we're making decisions. It feels like we're often in control, but sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't, right? Sometimes it feels like, you know, why did I do that? Jeez, I wish I hadn't done that. And we're sort of mystified a little bit about our own motivations and so on. Um, yeah. And I think what, what's interesting these days is that neuroscience is showing us a lot of these details about what's going on in the brain when we, or indeed an animal, is making a decision, when it's choosing an action, when it's trying to figure out what's out in the world and what it should do about it. And in some ways, we're getting so much information from neuroscience, that it almost looks like it's just the neural mechanisms at work. It's just neural circuitry. It's like we're just robots and we're playing out the configuration of our programming. And it, it, it almost like leaves no room for us as ourselves or certainly of our minds to be in charge or to be doing anything. But before Sorry. you go, go on, and I know that's what, what, you know, that's certainly how I feel, but I'm, I'm hoping you'll convince me otherwise. But um, isn't that the simplest approach to just say, because otherwise consciousness becomes this huge problem. But if you say, look, we're just computers running code. We, you know, we interact with stimulus and I'll always react to, to that stimulus exactly the same way because essentially we're automatons. Does does that solve us of, of consciousness and it just... And just yeah. get, and just and it does not make everything so much cleaner. Why would you not want that? It, it does make things cleaner, right? But what it does it is it strips the humanity away, right? So it feels like when we think about things that our thoughts can have some causal power in the system, right? That what we're thinking about, that what we decide to do, can have some effect. Now you could say, well, look. That's just an illusion. It's all neural circuits firing. You're just kidding yourself. You're really a meat puppet or a robot that's just tuned a certain way, right? And you could say genetics shows us we have these predispositions. Neuroscience shows us the, the things at work. Um, or even you could just say it's all physics, right? You know, it, it's all just atoms and molecules, and they're going to bounce around whatever way the physics says they're going to do. So it's a challenge to try and figure out, well, how could it be the case that we, ourselves, the whole entity, could decide things based on its own reasons, it's a different, it's a totally different kind of causation from anything else in the universe. And it's not just us, right? The question extends to any any living organism. How could we say 
that an amoeba is doing anything or that, uh, you know, a dog or an octopus or any kind of creature really does anything. Wait, wait, wait. You're not going to tell me an amoeba is going to have free will. No, no. But I do think they have basic agency. So free will is such a loaded concept. Um, You know, I, I use it when we're talking about humans. But really what I mean by that is our cognitive capacity to control our behavior and in a sense, our conscious cognitive capacity. And the consciousness bit is really, really mysterious, but the control bit is not so mysterious. And what I what I wanted to do really is try and figure out, well, let's understand how any living thing controls what it can do and build up from there to the really, really complex system of the, of the human brain. So I do, um, in the book, start with very simple creatures like single-celled amoeba or, or bacteria, that you know they face some choices in the world they they're trying to they're trying to survive so they're a kind of a hive of activity that's keeping itself going and in order to survive they need to adapt to changing conditions in the environment so they But isn't that to... just chance isn't that just ev- evolution well it's evolution has it has imbued them with the systems that allow them to sense what's out in the world and to respond appropriately to that. Yeah. Right? So it's a kind of an, an evolved machinery, but you can still see there's some purpose there, right? The, the purpose for a living organism is just to keep living. But once you have that, then things have some value relative to that goal. So you get goal-directed behavior, the kind of thing that you don't see in, in non-living organisms. And there are systems that allow the organism to choose between different options. So even in a bacterium, it can swim one way or swim another way. And it has to decide. It can't do both at the same time. It has to do one of those. So it needs a system to figure out which it should do and which way it should swim. So it uses information about what's out in the world to decide, uh, I'm going to go this way or that way. Now, it's not deciding in it like it's thinking about it, right? But it has systems that, that effectively enable a choice between those two options. So I don't a, like the word choice, Kevin. I, know, I don't like tricky. the word choice. Choice is not the right word. I mean, it it has it uh, by your definition, it has to go and uh, uh, you know a tadpole has to swim left or swim right. It doesn't well, choose to do other because otherwise it just stays there and it dies. So it has to do something. It has I don't to know do if call something. Choice. Well, so what's interesting would would so you can ask when you've got say a bacterium or a tadpole like that and it's reacting to some kind of a stimulus. You know, in the lab, we often study these things where we isolate everything. We just expose the thing to one stimulus. It's really tightly controlled. And it looks like there's one little sort of mechanism inside the, say, a bacterium that is controlling what happens, as if the bacterium is being driven by its own parts, right? right. The bacterium as a whole is not in control. Now, I would say that's an illusion of, uh, of the way that we set up the experiment, because in fact, even a bacterium is actually sensing many things at a time. It's integrating lots of signals. It's, it, it's context dependent in a really holistic kind of way, dependent on its recent history and so on. So to, to think of it in terms of isolated mechanisms is not quite right. It's the organism as a whole that is enacting uh, a one behavioral outcome versus no. I'm trying to avoid the word choice, <laughs> <laughs> and it's really tri- it's really Just tricky because we don't have the word choice. That's we funny. don't have words for it. Uh, but effectively, what I'm getting at is that it's not the case that the system. First of all, living systems are not just pushed around by things in the environment. That's the whole point of being a living system: is you keep yourself going out of equilibrium with the environment. Right? Yeah, but so, it's it's a reward. 
based system, right? The reason why I don't, you know, kill somebody who's annoyed me um, is, even if it was advantageous to me, is because the reward, I, I understand the, the long-term uh, implications of that and the, the reward is not, yeah. you know, it's it's not a positive reward, it's a negative uh, implication. Sure. So, a, yeah. yeah, so so like that's, that's still reward-based, right? So that isn't it really is. a decision. Well. I, what I would say is that you make decisions, and I think even you know simple creatures make decisions based on reasons. So the reasons now uh, are with respect to some goal. For a bacterium, it's just to keep surviving. For you, it's more complicated than that. Ultimately, it's scaffolded off the, the urge to keep surviving. Um, so if you are taking into account all kinds of different things in the world right now, right? Not just one binary choice, lots of stuff going on. You're assessing a situation. You are thinking about the possible outcomes of your actions and you're evaluating them to say whether this would be a good thing for me to do or a bad thing. And then you choose one outcome and you inhibit all the other possible ones. Well, then that's you choosing. What I mean, yes, it is reward-based, of course. It's right. doing, doing things for reasons. So I would say free will is not it's not abs we're not looking for absolute free will where you're doing things for no reason that would be just incoherent right, right. well you want to be doing things for your reasons uh, which is, which is the systems that we have evolved uh, allow us to do that okay so so far this has been sort of a philosophical conversation let's talk about the evidence and the neuroscience behind decision making what can we see with these new technologies that we have that help us understand decision making in the brain and whether or not that is reactive or proactive yeah well so again, it depends on how you set up your experiments and what sort of perspective you bring to them and what uh, implications you draw from them. So it's interesting. We can do we you know we can do um, magnetic resonance imaging, for example. We can see uh, the goings on inside people's brains as they're making decisions, um, and that has been you know a source of slightly confusing data in the sense that for some kinds of decisions where we don't really care what happens. So say a setup where the experiment just asks you to lift your finger on a whim whenever you like. In those kinds of scenarios, you get this sort of brain activity that precedes that, maybe even before you're consciously aware of doing it. And some people have said, well, look, that shows free will is, it doesn't exist. Your brain is just making decisions for you. But it's a really trivial decision, right? You don't care. There's, nothing is at stake. You're not right. deliberating about it. So fine, you let your brain do it, good. What's the problem? It doesn't mean that all decisions are like that. So what are what's harder to, to study in the lab is you know, really deliberative decisions, the kinds of things that, that takes some time to figure out where we're weighing up alternatives and so on. Um, and we're trying to decide, is this worth the effort? What's the payoff going to be? Um, and of course, you can get at the brain circuits that are involved in those things, but it, it gives a kind of a false impression to just try to focus in on just one of them at a time, like it's a bit of a machine, mm. as opposed to a part of it, a, a whole interlocking system that collectively is trying to optimize behavior over many, many outcomes with ambiguous information and indeterministic components, right? Noisy components. So we're not it's just not the case, even for simple things, that they'll always do exactly the same thing. There's a bit of randomness at play as well. Um, so all of that, I think, is um, is you making the decision. Although other neuroscientists would look at that and say, no, it's it's the brain circuits are making the decision. 
you're not you know you're not in charge i see it differently i see those are the systems we use to make decisions um so how do we go about proving free will um, I presume you don't make that bold claim in your book. Um, <laughs> if you do, you'd sell a lot of copies, but it might be your last book. Um, what, 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 how do we go about uh, definitively proving that humans have free will? Because that idea of, you know, decisions that matter, I'm starting to think of, you know, decisions my wife made with a career and we sat down, we mm -hmm. talked about different things and we, the outcome wasn't certain, but we made a path. And that, that certainly now when I reflect on it, certainly feels like not stimulus response um, exactly. in the way that you were you're you know that i was simplistically talking about it but how do we go about proving that we have agency over ourselves that we're not just responding to the stimuli stimuli in our environment in, yeah. in a complex but but essentially binary way yeah it's it's difficult to think of one particular experiment that would prove or disprove it and in a sense it depends on how you're if we threw the ethics board out, right? If we got, <laughs> got rid of any ethics, yeah. is there, a, well, is there I mean, an experiment that would help? There are. Hmm. So it's a, it's a matter of perspective, I think, really, in the sense that you know people would say, look, there are experiments that disprove free will. For example, I can go in and activate a part of your brain and make you raise your hand or make you think of something or make you feel an emotion. Therefore, all of that cognitive stuff, all of that psychological experience is just caused by what's happening in your brain. And that, that to me is a simplistic interpretation of that experiment because Yes, of course, psychological mental phenomena need to be implemented. They need to be supported by something in the brain. But if you're just sort of driving activity really strong with a so an external electrode or something like that, that doesn't really speak to what's normally going on. So one kind of a question is um, whether in order to say something is free will, you set the bar so high that it could never be met except by magic. So, for example, if you say you're only free if your behavior has no prior causes whatsoever, right? Nothing is influencing it except you yourself somehow, right? Well, then that, that becomes a really weird idea because it would mean you're doing things for no reason, right? If you, if you have a reason, then that's a prior cause. If you're using prior information about the world that you've learned, that's a prior cause. If you're doing something in a goal-directed way towards the future, that's a prior cause. So... In order to just be ourselves through time, of course, we have to be constrained, right? That, that's what it means to be a self, is to constrain things in such a way that you continue to exist. So I think a more naturalistic way of thinking about free will is that it's an evolved biological capacity. It doesn't require magic. It doesn't require a ghost in the machine. It just requires that we make decisions based on information, that we have neural patterns of activity that mean something to us that uh, entail some mental states like desires and beliefs and intentions and so on. And that we, that, that cognitive, uh, those cognitive operations are real. They're not epiphenomena. They depend on neural circuitry, but they can't be reduced to it. You mentioned magic there. And I, and I was just reminded of a show I saw a few years back of a hypnotist who managed to, you know, get people to do things that they didn't want to do, essentially mm. um, removing their free will in a way because they weren't consciously able to to refuse. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is, is there uh, is there any experimental thing in that field of, of hypnotism um, that might give us, shed a light on, on free will or decision making? Yeah, um, to be honest, I'm not, 
that familiar with the hypnotism field, and I don't know what to make of it. Right, I'm not sure if I believe it or not. There is a there is a you know a bunch of neuroscientists who study it. I'm not familiar with it, but but you highlight a different um, way of looking at this, which is to say, whatever this capacity is that we think exists, that this evolved biological capacity, it must depend on some real neural systems. So maybe it could vary across individuals. Maybe it could be impaired. And if that's the case, then I, I take that as evidence that it's a real thing. So that we get a handle on what we're talking about when we see situations where it doesn't work right. Hmm. So for example, if we take, you know, if we take drugs or alcohol, our capacity for conscious rational control of our actions will be diminished or changed. Yeah. Uh, if we look at children, for example, they have less control over their over their behavior. They're less able to plan over a long time frame. They're less able to manage their behavior. Right? They're they're more impulsive. That's also true just across different individuals. And then, of course, you get um, you know really serious clinical disorders like schizophrenia or mania or depression, dementia, where different aspects of these systems get impaired, and the result is. Uh, a, a decrement in the ability of an individual to control their behavior in an adaptive fashion through time. And mm. probably the most stark example of that is, is drug addiction. Yeah. Right? Where what happens is the drugs, not only do they you know, impose a certain state on the person at a, acutely, they also hijacked, hijack the learning system that normally allows us to as we go through life, figure out this was a good behavior, I should do that again. Yeah. So that reward system is hijacked by the drugs in a way that now says what you should do is get more of that drug. Mm. And, and and to me, again, it's a, uh, first of all, it's obviously clinically hugely important, but, it's, but it also highlights um, the idea that we can approach the, the concept of free will, this philosophically loaded term in a more naturalistic way without just reducing it to just pure neuroscience, that that it's still beliefs and desires and rewards and all that kind of stuff um, mm. that's real. And, and I guess until we isolate consciousness in, you know, in that part of the brain and we find consciousness lives there, um, this debate will rage on. Uh, it's always a fascinating subject and always fascinating to speak with you. Um, the book is called Free Agents, How Evolution Gave Us Free Will. Kevin Mitchell is its author. Kevin, thanks for your time. Thanks very much, Jonathan. Pleasure as always.